Welcome, everybody. Welcome back to Cinepraisal. Cinepraisal. <laughs> the, the podcast where... I don't know why I can't... Why am, why am I not able to, like, hold it together during this intro? It doesn't matter. This is it. We're here today on this day of days. It is a lovely New Year's Eve for us. It will not yeah, be... Yeah, we, we're, uh, we're trying something new. And actually, like, recording our own intros and outros instead of just, like, you know, stapling on the ones we did, like, a year and a half ago. (laughs) (laughs) These are different. These are different. This is new. It is us. We are we. different times. And you are you. So many things. (laughs) On the nature of time. On the nature of time. That brings us, it's a perfect segue, because here on New Year's Eve, uh, New Year's Eve 2020, who has not wanted to time travel out of this year? Yes. Uh, so we will now be watching Back to the Future, which I find ultimately even more timely because we've all been stuck in 1955 for the past four years. Yeah. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I look uh, forward to going back to the future. Uh, <clears throat> I hope you heard all the crinkling of my water bottle there. Um, but let's... Um, uh, where we're going, we don't need roads. Okay, let's hit play on this. Uh, on this. Reaganomics. Reagan. Reaganomics. All right, let's. I have many things to say, but let's get this party. Let's get this. Who Netflix who party have started? Many things to say about Reaganomics. <laughs> well, not Reagan, because uh, anyway, uh, let's hit a. Ooh, burn! Uh, you just burned a corpse. And well. Call you the crematorium because you just burned a corpse. That's a that's a pretty normal activity for some. <laughs> anyway, you ready to get started? Is that a is that a Return of the Jedi reference? No, I don't know. Um, yeah, let's uh, let's start because because Vader he's burned at the end. Never mind. All right, let's no, do no, this no. Thing. I got that. yeah. Thanks. All right, okay. all right. Press and play now. Oh my goodness, we're starting. We're starting. There's the there's the globe. Universal, an MCA company. Are we synced, Adam? We are synced. <laughs> we are synced. And we can say we can say real quick that like in the spirit of this movie, we've already had to go back in time yeah. because the, we lost the sync. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, <laughs> it became very apparent that I was referencing things that were happening. Um, a few seconds, actually up to like 10 seconds later for Adam. So it was like, oh no, <laughs> this isn't working. So now we're just independently playing it on Netflix on both our ends. And uh, now we have the clock. We'll see how this goes. Well, hope, hopefully time. we stay synced this time. Christopher Lloyd just came up. Is that yes, our... Christopher Lloyd. Okay, good. We're on the same page. Excellent. Um, the drunk clock. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as well because for some reason I started talking about Ahsoka in... Uh, in the Mandalorian, which didn't have anything to do with the movie, so we weren't really talking about it anyway. Uh, this is a Felix clock. But what we were talking about is a point you had brought up uh, about how this movie wasn't originally about time travel. Yes, I do want to reiterate this point. So, the, yeah, one of the interesting things about this is uh, Bob Gale, one of the um, producers and uh, one of the co-writers, along with Robert Zemeckis, the director. Uh, the genesis of the idea for this movie was not to uh, not time travel. It wasn't to tell a story about <laughs> about a, you know that was a science fiction idea. It was him wondering if he was the same age as his father, 
in high school if they would have been friends if he had been at that age at the same time as his dad. And uh, and the means of accomplishing that story was time travel. Was That was the only way they could think to make something like that happen. So the fact that it came from this, this very specific question about how one would relate to their own family um, gave this movie a sort of a heart that, that kept it in its own... Um, it it doesn't fall into the trappings that some science fiction films or stories do where they're like more about the sci-fi element than it is about the people and the the humanity behind it. So I always love that because, yeah, you have a really uh, interesting and specific story where the time travel is kind of secondary. Um, and I feel like that theme does carry through in parts two and three as well. It's it's always more about the the people than it is uh the fact that they're traveling through time necessarily exactly um uh, i just want to point out the sheer amount of information that we got yes. in that <laughs> one long shot you know you know you find out basically who doc brown is the fact that he's like you know a eccentric millionaire that his house burned down uh you also get the inference like that commercial about the toyota that you know spoiler alert marty gets a toyota at the end Oh, and yeah. then uh, the news report about how the plutonium is missing and how oh, there's the plutonium handle with care. <laughs> not, not only the, that plutonium is missing, but that it uh, the the U.S. government is basically just denying the fact that there's missing plutonium. <laughs> I do want to say that my one of my opinions regarding this film, I, I think this is one of the best Hollywood style films ever made. I, I think it falls into all the things that make uh, the traditional Hollywood storytelling good, I think, mostly apply to this film. And the screenwriting is top notch. The storytelling is great. The acting is great. Everything about it is. I, I would, yeah, I would very much agree with that. Like to me, this movie falls very much in with like Indiana Jones and Star Wars, in terms of like franchises that basically defined our childhood. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to what you're saying, all of the information that comes across. <laughs> so, ah, oh my God, it looks like that hurts so much <laughs> having like, all the books fall on him. Um, all the information that's communicated so simply in this one opening is just really, really masterful storytelling. And I feel like you, you, did can, you can go you crazy so crazy son far. of a bitch, you did it. You did it. You created dinosaurs. <laughs> <laughs> thank you that was one of the things i couldn't do in the uh, false start was trying to come up with a good jurassic park line um yeah no i 100 percent did it because you couldn't <laughs> <laughs> well you know you were so focused on the fact that you you could do it you didn't stop to think about whether or not you should do it adam that that's, that's no the i did <laughs> <laughs> um so uh, this movie's great. We're going to talk about how it's great. Hopefully you've seen it before if you're listening to us and you already know it's great. I do want to take some time. Uh, to... do, we, do we need to cover this in every episode? <laughs> like, we want new listeners as much as possible, but please do not listen to us if you haven't seen these movies. Right. Like, we don't give a shit about your spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> right. But, well, we give a little shit. That's why we're telling you to watch yeah, them. A little, little, little tiny shit. <laughs> Just a tiny one. Ew. All right. So, but we're, <laughs> but I do want to spend like some amount of time here sort of just recapping uh, life things. So, 
a lot of things changed. A lot of things are different for me personally. Um, the big one is that, and Adam, if you don't mind me just talking about myself here for a little bit. Uh, you do you, man. I'm watching <clears throat> Back to the Future. <laughs> Thank God. Uh, and I'm coughing for the seven billionth time. That was another funny thing was like as soon as I was fine today, like I, I had no problem talking or saying any words. And then as soon as we sat like sat down to actually start recording, I just started. That's over where the Hobby Lobby is now. <laughs> I just started coughing uncontrollably and was trying to clear my throat over and over and over again. And uh, finally, finally, it is not as bad as it was when we were starting. But I am still drinking a bottle of water here and there. And here, I will mention that we see a uh, <laughs> nice Mountain Dew cap. We see... <laughs> We see this uh, lovely uh, picture of the town in current day, which sets you up for how different it's going to look when uh, he goes back. So, again, you're always receiving information, even if you're not aware of it. Um, I wonder what the graffiti said there. God, I'd like to go back and check if I could, because um, there's probably stuff hidden there. So, but well, I, what I, I was... mean, you can always... Uh... <clears throat> Put that in the description of the video. No. Um, <laughs> so what I'm going to... I mean, not the video, the audio. The audio. The audi I'm well, losing track of my mediums we here. We don't know. What year is it? Um, it's 1985. What year is it? <laughs> it's 1985, um, which is two years before I was born, uh, which is so weird to think about. Because this movie... I. I I was going to talk about myself, but now I'm getting distracted by the film we're watching. Uh, this movie is very important to me uh, because of kind of the relationship that, weirdly, it reminds me of my dad. And it it gives me that same feeling of, like, this movie reminds me of how I am friends with my dad. Um, because this was a very important film to us and to him growing up. And uh, so, for me personally, it has that double meaning. I don't know if it is... One that you feel that way about uh, regarding anything? Uh, not this one, but we uh, we already did King Kong. Like that's me and my dad's thing is King Kong. Nice. Um, <clears throat> like what? Like any time that we're in the same place, like every once in a while, you know, mid conversation, one of us will drop a reference. Right. And it's like while everyone in my family has seen King Kong, at a certain point, like the references are literally just for me and him. Did we? Did we release the King Kong episode? We did, right? I don't even remember. <laughs> Was that? Uh, no, no, I haven't been back. I haven't been back to see, yeah. Maybe that's what, I have to check if that one actually got put out or not. <laughs> there are some old ones that we uh, kind of ended up not doing uh, just because they were so long ago. It didn't feel reflective of who we are now. Um, so apologies if that one is or is not up. I actually do not remember at the moment. But yeah, uh, shit, we should probably look into that. <laughs> if if it isn't, then we'll probably redo King Kong, because um, that is a, yeah, I'd be, I'd be I'd be down for that. Yeah, that is a wonderful film, and it it would it always bears rewatching. But what I was going to say, just to get it out of the way, uh, oh, there's a Goodwill in the background there. Um, Marty, Marty, come on now, come on, she's right there. Anyway, so <laughs> my life. Uh, I moved out of my old apartment, uh, ta-da, because I could, well, for a number of reasons. One, I, I kind of couldn't afford it anymore. Um, I used to live in Los Feliz, uh, Los Feliz, and 
my roommate, uh, Dave, was wanting to move to Washington. And I had this kind of moment where I went, well, uh, do I want to stay in this apartment that I've been in for almost, what, eight years? Or do I want to change my location? Um, But at the same time, it doesn't really make sense because of uh, the pandemic uh, to go anywhere. (laughs) So I kind of had this uh, more logistical decision of like, all right, well, your dad has a house. (laughs) So (laughs) you could (laughs) go and live at his place. So that is, in fact, where I am now. I I am at my dad's place and I have split up my things uh, between my mom and dad's places, uh, which are different locations. And, uh, but right now I'm in, I'm in West Hills and it is actually nice. It, I have my computer set up in uh, part of his living room and it's a, it's a much more spacious setup than I had previously when I was just recording from my bedroom. Um, but apart from that life change and everything being different, I do have a whole different uh, recording setup in a number of ways. Um, I have, uh, cause my roommate Dave was also, uh, an audio engineer. That was this thing he, he had studied, uh, in school. And, uh, so he had a lot of audio equipment and among those things, he had a couple of Mackie speakers and a focus, right? Audio interface. And my interface is kind of old at this point. So, I decided. I'm sorry, does that movie marquee say Orgy American Style? It does. Triple <laughs> X rated. Um, I think that's Lord. more stuff <laughs> to make you realize that it's uh, the time that they're in. Because um, it feels so much well, no, more. I, I, I get that. I just think it's funny. Like, There's a lot, of, a lot of movies that we loved as kids that I look back at and I'm just like, oh, oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's, there's more things. This movie's like PG. I'm sorry to cut you off. No, no, no. Yeah. But this movie is PG, and they say shit like a number of times in it, I'm pretty sure. It, the ratings are very questionable for this film in particular. Um, well, you know what? Like, me, me and uh, some, some of my other friends, we have a, a Tuesday night, like, movie club thing that we do. And, like, we, we've been watching movies like Rambo and, uh, like, Rambo and RoboCop. And it's just, like, realizing all of these, like, heavy R movies that were, some, for some reason, marketed to children. Mm-hmm. Like, Alien. Like, yes. <laughs> all the action figures and shit for Alien. Yeah, that was not... You don't make the action... Well, I guess now you would. But then you wouldn't have made, like, action figures for grown adults. Um, <laughs> but I think I have one of the old... I think there was, like, some uh, retro alien action figure that I got at some point that was made from unused molds for a xenomorph that they're like it's like this isn't a thing you can market to to children um yeah i i'm not i'm not gonna say this isn't a film that that you can't reevaluate because of the the time uh, that it was made in but uh well of course it's, it's the time that it was made in but also the time that they're traveling to yeah like them going back to the fifties is in and of itself going to have, you know, questionable shit just by the, by the nature of the time, but also it being made in the eighties. Like, what is this? This is 85, 86, 85. Yeah. 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 I, yeah I think it's 85. <clears throat> I know it takes place in 85, but anyway, like it being made in 85, it's going to be, it's going to be a ride. 
<laughs> yes, in a in a DeLorean, perhaps. Um, it is definitely yes. yes it, thank you. It, it, it's it is interesting to see because sometimes you have like the future of yesterday, and you'll see like the whole like Jules Verne kind of like interpretation of how the future would be. But it's fun to see the past of the past <laughs> where you see how a certain point in time, how they thought the past was. Um, and yeah, none of it's probably accurate, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting perspective. Um, but to finish well, off, yeah, the it's, 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 Oh, it's, go ahead. <laughs> it's interesting because it's like, you know, anytime, like even when you watch the second one of this and they travel to the future, uh, Robert Zemeckis said he didn't want to do a sequel that went to the future because, like future movies always end up looking dated yeah and which you know back to the future 2 very much does and that's because each each era each era you know of people making movies and whatnot it's it's how each era views the future which is like the 1950s vision of the future is very different from the 1980s vision of the future which is very different from our vision of the future but you never really think about the fact that we all have that same issue with the past Hmm. And it's because so much of our vision of the past has nothing to do with the actual past. It has to do with the media that we watch about or from that time. Hmm. Yeah. And the vision that that each generation who was making that content, their view of that time. It's always funny to me when I I feel like people think that films in the 20s looked like all scratchy and silly and we're like oh, not yeah you know it's like i feel like that's a common perception people have about it but it's like no they were seeing pristine celluloid like brand new prints of these things if you ever seen like a really well cleaned up silent film like uh passion of joan of arc is a good one that's like extremely well cleaned uh and it, it's weird to watch it because you're like oh this is probably what those movies looked like at the time but because of how they look now we think that it was different for some reason um, it's like, no, it was new then, or it's like, uh, Greek buildings, you know, had paint on them, but we, right. We tend to think that they were like white, <laughs> the whole, like all of it. It's like, no, they were painted. They, they didn't just leave it white. <laughs> not, not only were the, were the buildings painted, but also Greece was just, you know, like Greece and Ro- uh, the Roman empire as well. Graffiti was a huge thing. Like. <laughs> That was just how you made your political beliefs Suck known, it, was graffiti. And it was just kind of understood. <laughs> That's so funny. It's <laughs> such a funny thought to like... Uh... <laughs> Wait, what were they graffitiing with, I wonder? Like paintbrushes? They had to sit there and... <laughs> oh, no. Paint? And paint? You know, <laughs> any number of things. Uh, I just like... W- one of the, uh, A friend of mine was telling like me a shake. story... <laughs> so, you know, like Go someone ahead. shakes a, a spray can. I'm imagining like some rebel Greek punk like shaking a paintbrush before <laughs> before they like. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Go ahead. Uh, a friend of mine was telling me a story about uh, like Hadrian's Wall. Apparently one of the forts mm. they found uh, like someone had graffitied uh, the wall, like just like carved it in with a knife or whatever. And it was like some political graffiti. That's it, like on the English Scottish border about uh, like basically this Roman soldier was just like pissed off about what was going on back in the empire. Hmm. That's funny. Yeah. <laughs> that also it makes me think of the 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 famous scene in Life of Brian where <laughs> he's like, oh, yeah, defacing the wall. And it's like, 
Romanus, go. I don't remember, but it's like, no, 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 no. That's not how you'd con- now conjugate the verb. All right, now write it 500 times. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> um, this is, uh, man, this has already been a fun conversation. Um, yeah, we're off to a good start. <laughs> we're off to a good, a good beginning of a trilogy here. I do think I would like. Maybe not all at once, but I would like to go over all three parts of this uh, because I have many thoughts on all three of them. Um, and it's one of those yeah, rare... I'm about it. It's one of those rare uh, trilogies where, um, uh, you know, I think people do tend to say that this is their favorite one. Um, I'm weird. I really like three. That's actually like... I really like three. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I think three is great. I think three has so much fun stuff in it, and I love that it's a Western, and I love that they just kind of went went absolutely wild with that. Um, wild West, if well, you will. It's uh, it, it follows like my belief that any good trilogy, like you establish the world, then you make the world bigger, then you have fun in that bigger world. And they have so much fucking fun in the third one. Yeah. <laughs> and there's all these... ZZ Top is ZZ there for Top. no reason. Thank you. Uh, there's also... There's just lovely little nods, too, to the first two movies. And you have these fun motifs that keep getting paid off uh, throughout the throughout the film. So it's... it To me, the, the sequels feel like how sequels should feel, which are extensions of the narrative. Um, not to say they're perfect... Oh my God, Christopher Lloyd! You look the same. You look the same as you did. <laughs> How is What's that? What's funny possible? is that like he's kind of aged into <clears throat> he's aged right. into being this guy in real life, right? Like he's wearing like a bunch of makeup and stuff, which I love. In Back to the Future too, he gets a youth treatment. Oh yeah, yeah. And so you see him just pull the makeup off. <laughs> he looks the same, and it's like, all right, you look great, Doc. <laughs> Well, no, like they legitimately like pull a bunch of, of like the, the wrinkle makeup and shit off his face. No, I know. But it's just so funny that he like barely even looks different even then. It's just like <laughs> it's something about Christopher Lloyd's uh, appearance that he's forever this kind of old guy. Um, <laughs> I feel bad for him in a way. Uh, Man, I am always going to want a DeLorean. Like that's just that's part of part of my life, part of who I am. And this is. Oh, well, you know what's funny? And this is another connect with my dad. My dad has a DeLorean in his garage. I don't know if I ever uh, told Why me. is this information I'm just finding out? <laughs> I don't know. It never was something to bring up. But um, he hasn't... It, it hasn't been uh, running for a while. But it is there. It's in his garage. Um, and he, he had bought it I back. I want to go to there. <laughs> I want to be... Where the DeLoreans are. Um, it was one he bought because I think of this movie. He thought they were cool because of Back to the Future. And uh, and yeah. See, that's, that's that L.A. shit that I always like forget about is the fact that, yeah, you know what? Somebody bought DeLoreans. Like, that was a thing. They were popular. People bought them. So every once in a while I run into somebody in L.A. who either like owns one or knows someone who does. And it's like, oh, yeah. I guess there would be a lot of them here in L.A. Yeah, I don't know how many there are. It's kind of like how, like, whenever I meet somebody who's just like, oh, yeah, this celebrity was my next door neighbor when I was a kid. Like, yeah, I guess that person does have to have neighbors. I guess those neighbors have to be somebody. I went to middle school with uh, Johnny Tsunami. (laughs) 
you don't, I don't say. I don't know why that's the one I went for. I never met him. I just, I know he went to the same middle school at the same time. Um, no, I mean, we all have those moments where you're like, oh, yeah, so-and-so is right over there, you know? Um, heck, when I was in Los Feliz, I, I ran into Phil Lamar at my Trader Joe's one time, which made me happy. I was like, thank you for Samurai Jack. Um so yeah, you're I'm just I'm 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 just thinking to myself, like, there's no way in hell I can afford it, but I really want to buy your dad's car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even care if it runs. <laughs> I've been begging I like okay, here's here's the funny thing though. Currently at my dad's house, there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven cars. <laughs> You're where that's not normal, right? I know, but but I can explain all of them. So, so the, that's that's kind of not the issue. No, no, no. But but a couple of them. One of them's mine. One of them. One of them's the Buick, um, which was my grandpa's at one point. Um, and then there are a couple other cars that just over time have accumulated. There's a my old Chrysler LeBaron is here, but we need to junk it because it's it's just the engine is dead. Um, but I was talking about this with him recently that we need to, you know, kind of <laughs> downsize the vehicles that are here. But I have for so long wanted him to to repair or get the uh, DeLorean running again because it's just like you've got this beautiful car and you don't, you know, you don't use it. And it's you would you would be so cool driving around, although you'd probably be afraid of what would happen to it uh, if you were to, like, park it somewhere. <laughs> so I can understand. But it'd just be so fun to be able to take that thing out and drive around and have people like, like, wait, are you really driving a DeLorean? <laughs> um, That's the thing is, like, I feel like so many of them get turned into time machines, which I get it. I really do. <laughs> but you very rarely see just a DeLorean. Just like just one. the the base stock car. Yep, and that's what it is. It's just lovely in its own right. Um, if I remember though, they are they are a tight fit when you get inside of them. They're they're not very tall cars. And look how tall look how tall Lloyd is. They're standing next to it. It's like they are. You really do uh, lean down into them. Can we agree that this is a uh, by and large and by a wide margin? Uh, Christopher Lloyd's most well-known role in a in a yeah, film. I agree with that. I, I I think so. I mean, the other things that come to mind are um, Judge Doom in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and uh, he's also the voice of Rasputin in Anastasia. Uh, not the singing voice, says Jim Cummings, but the normal speaking voice. Um, hang are... on, hang on. I'm just I'm I'm looking at this, and the fact that he just you know touched the touched the car. And realized that it was cold. But the entire point is, he, this isn't the first time he's done this experiment. Because he sent all the clocks back in time already. Right. Well, he's Which just I'd also like to. I'd like to see him just, like, filling this car with running clocks. <laughs> he's, he's excited, you know? You, I, anyone could make that mistake. The, uh... uh well, I was going to ask, what are some of your favorite Christopher Lloyd... Uh, roles that you can think of besides uh, besides these, if any. Um, Suburban Commando. Okay, I've never seen that. <laughs> it's uh, like Hulk Hogan is a space cop or something, and he ends up crashing on Earth, 
And uh, it's kind of like Harry and the Hendersons, except instead of Sasquatch, it's a space cop. That's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> I have no, yeah. I have no, I have no and he's, he's the, he's the father in the family. <laughs> Great. <laughs> well, cool. So many, so many well-known roles. Uh, <laughs> no, he definitely is one of those actors where every so often you'll find out he did something. He's also the, I always bring this up whenever I can. He was also the uh, sorcerer in uh, DuckTales the movie, Treasure of the Lost Lamp. That's, uh... <laughs> that's, My God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can, once you know it, you can How just, am I just finding this out now? You can totally hear it <laughs> when you're listening to him, too. It's just like, oh my God, it's Christopher Lloyd. Um, but I really, I love that performance in that movie. He just gives a lot of, um, it's really over the top and dramatic and fun. And it's fun to hear him play over the top villains. Because in this, he plays such a a good character. But he's very good at doing roles like uh, Rasputin or the Marlock, I think is the name of the that sorcerer. But um, <laughs> so much wonderful acting from Christopher Lloyd. Really just goes for it, throws his heart into everything. And uh, the chemistry between him and Michael J. Fox is kind of just what carries this movie. It's just that, I mean, hell, that it was the genesis for for Rick and Morty, even. You know, like yeah. just the whole dynamic of uh, this kid and a mad scientist. Um, obviously, Rick and well, Morty like, <laughs> went a different direction. I just, with I it. really, I really enjoy, uh, you know, him explaining just now, like, oh yeah. The only reason I have plutonium for this is because a bunch of terrorists hired me to build them a bomb. Like, <laughs> excuse me? Like, right. he just kind of drops that information and keeps it moving. Like, <laughs> Well, and that's what I love is, like, for all of the intelligence that Lloyd has, or Lloyd, that Doc Brown, the character, has. <laughs> um, is, they're, they're more or less the same. More the same. But for all of the intelligence he has, he still has this kind of he puts on blinders right and he doesn't see these other things around him and i feel like that's something that kind of gets explored a little more in part three um but he is so tunnel vision about doing a thing that in some ways he doesn't always think about the consequences and to him it was more important to just get this plutonium <laughs> you know it didn't matter if he had to trick terrorists into into uh <laughs> giving it to him but uh but yeah it's it's i don't know Every character in this is fun and has flaws and yada yada. God, I wish I could watch it. I wish I could watch this for the first time and and feel like how it would have felt at this point where, because we're still in the present, quote unquote, um, that this moment where, uh, where Marty gets sent to the past is just like, that would have been so cool to experience it. And I can't even remember what... Like, I've seen this film so far back in my memory that I can't even remember what my initial reaction to the film was because I was so young. And that to me is a weird feeling. I don't know if there's anything for you that feels that way where you're like, what? How did I react to Star Wars? I mean, shit. That's like (laughs) most of the movies I watched growing up as a kid are movies (laughs) like King Kong or this or, you know. Like it's it's a lot of stuff that I started watching really really young, because uh, I was the you know the youngest of of three kids. So like, my dad was already showing a lot of a lot of movies and shit to my older siblings by the time I was on the scene. Like, I think when did we see Child's Play? I think I was like three. <laughs> that seems like a 
Seems a little young. <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah. a child's play. <laughs> also, we heard Marty. Best part of that story, though, is uh, apparently my dad showed. showed <clears throat> so two things. One, when my dad would rent videos for us to watch on like a Friday night, mm-hmm. he would go to ShopRite, rent two movies, and buy a blank tape all in the same transaction. <laughs> Like no illusions about what's happening here, right? It's and like it's like, he would, it's like when you have like thirty pieces of toilet paper on the uh, on the. <laughs> so, so what are you kids doing tonight? Uh, you know, it's like this is very clear what your your course of intent is here, <laughs> right? But yeah, so like he he would uh, basically because the way that he rented movies, he would always rent a movie for himself and a movie for us. And so we have all these, like, weird double feature cassette tapes mm-hmm. of, uh, like, Child's Play followed by Bambi. <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, they're uh, both. They're no, both. I, think it's, I think it's Child's Play followed by The Land Before Time and The Fly followed I, by Bambi. I, ironically, it's just like, I feel like Bambi is the most emotionally damaging of all of those. <laughs> Strangely, yes. <laughs> I'd say that's the one that could fuck with you more than, than the other ones when you're young. <laughs> um, that's that's very funny, though. I love that. <laughs> uh, and and um, mm, the music, the which music. I, you know, what? I feel like I probably mentioned that Alan on Sil- the Jurassic Park one. Come to think of it, hmm. Well, mention what? Oh, that story. Maybe. Yeah. I, I just want to, because it's kicking in here, Alan Silvestri's score for this is just absolutely beautiful. It is, <laughs> I think it is so iconic. It is as iconic as anything from uh, from Jurassic Park or from Star Wars. I think that this music stands in the Hall of Fame of recognizable oh, yeah. film this is, this is This is 100% one of those iconic themes. Um which you know, it's funny that Alan Silvestri would go on to do like the Avengers movies, and like that yeah, Avengers theme—that is a good theme. Yeah, I would agree with that. I'm not always the biggest like fan that, of that's of the music in well, a lot of Marvel film films, but I do agree with you. I think that that one is like it is a very iconic theme for for the Avengers. Well, I I feel like with their Phase One movies, like that was a big complaint, and mm. I think that they're aware that it was a big complaint. So going forward, they've made a lot of like really cool iconic theme songs. Like, I mean, Captain America, uh, it's just a great theme. Iron Man ended up getting a really good theme, but uh, Doctor Strange, really mm. like Doctor Strange. But anyway, with the uh, the Avengers, like yeah, that's an iconic song. Like you hear that, and like you get excited, like. Uh, when Thor showed up in Wakanda in hmm. Infinity War and they start blaring the Avengers theme, you're like, oh, it's about to go down. Yeah, <laughs> it's no, I, I I just think Alan Silvestri is like up there with uh, with John William, James Horner, Danny Elfman, like all the all the greats uh, also did. Uh, I believe he did the score for Ferngully, um, Ferngully, The Last Rainforest. And that's a marvelously just serene and beautiful score that does a great job of capturing the feeling of being in a rainforest. Um, da, 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 da. Anyway, there's no music playing. My oh, yeah, pines! there is. There, there it is. <laughs> da, 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 da. 
all of all of this only matters if you actually paid attention to what Doc was saying earlier. And I love the whole. I mean, we talked over it, but just the idea that that he looks like the kind of alien invader uh, in in his uh, getup, and that the car itself yeah. kind of looks like yeah. a flying saucer. Which actually, if I'm not mistaken, that might be why it's a DeLorean because they wanted that gag. They wanted the gag of a of a door opening upwards and feeling like it was a spaceship, um, and that may have been the deciding factor as to why the time machine became a door. I'm not 100 percent certain on that, but I think if you listen to the commentary uh, from from <laughs> from them, you'll hear that that is uh, that was a factor. Um, yeah, I'd believe that. But uh, but yeah, what else was it? I don't know if Live I finished in the home of tomorrow today. <laughs> <laughs> so, I forgot about that. <laughs> it's just so like, was that really necessary? <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know if I finished my rambling about uh my new setup here, but um, I uh, this is a much better and improved setup for me trying to record audio, uh because of the fact that I now have uh, the Focusrite uh, interface that uh, Dave gave me when he was moving. So before I was using an old uh, Toneport KB37 uh, Line 6 model, and that was fine, but it's also very big, and uh, its preamps aren't as good. What's nice about this one, and makes a huge difference for me, not for you, but, <laughs> but it makes a difference <laughs> for me, is that... <laughs> um, it has an onboard in-ear monitor. So uh, normally when you're trying to record yourself, uh, there's latency that causes a delay in your voice. Yeah. You'll try and hear yeah. yourself through whatever software. And the delay is just caused by the fact that it has to send the signal to the computer and to the software and then back to your headphones. And it takes a lot of CPU power to try and reduce the amount of time. Um, and also USB isn't as effective for doing that. So this is a FireWire connection, and also the Focusrites are just built with uh, having in their um, software a just something that passes your voice through to the headphones from the Focusrite itself. So there's no latency. So I can hear myself. Finally, for the first time while I'm recording, I can actually hear my own voice, and it makes so much difference. Uh, <laughs> I cannot. I'm, even... I'm, I'm happy for you, Dax, that the sound of your own voice excites you. So, well, no, because you need to, because I try and talk with a lot of color and and ups and downs in my voice, and I try and put melody in what I'm doing. And when you can't hear your voice, it is hard to stay on pitch or in keys but so it's more important for singing than it is for something like this but even just doing this it really does help me know how i sound and that is an important part of trying to uh perform in any capacity not as performance but uh you know it just it gives you more of an awareness about about your own uh self so that's why I'm excited because I have this and also I have a little mount uh set up on on my desk uh, that has my mic on it, which is much easier because before I was trying to put like a music, not a music stand, I was trying to put a mic stand in front of my computer, mount the thing, but then my like chair, I had to scoot back enough so I wasn't hitting my mic stand and then also trying to look at the, <laughs> trying to look at the computer to watch the movie. It, uh, 
it wasn't very convenient. Uh, so this does a, a much better job of making it easy for me to sit here and talk and and watch this. So uh, it was it was a task trying to figure this out. Um, and uh, but I'm very happy with it now, and I'm enjoying the process of sitting here. I know none of that changes you. <laughs> that changes, although there is a difference because we finally figured out what was wrong with uh, with Adam's recording on the last time. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, like that's that's like the real major change for me. Dax went off on a whole thing about major changes in his life, which you know, <laughs> congratulations. I'm excited for you. Uh, my big change is that I learned which end of my microphone to talk into. So, <laughs> And this is the kind of thing, if I had been there in person, it would have been the first thing I would have checked, you know, when we were recording. I would have, like, noted it by just looking and going, oh. But because I wasn't there, I didn't, I couldn't see that that was the thing. And, yeah, for people who don't know, if you're using, uh, there's two types of microphones. There's dynamic microphones and there's condenser microphones. And then there's also... Um, usually condenser microphones are have a cardioid or directional capability, which is that one part of them is more sensitive than the other. So even though maybe it looks like you could talk into the mic from any direction on some of the models that are out there, there actually is a preferred angle you are supposed to speak into a microphone in order to get an optimal sound. And apparently... <laughs> apparently you were just talking into the either like the back or the top of it and we were like it's talking into the top of it yeah the top of it and it's like why isn't this working <laughs> why and so i think you had to turn up the interface to like compensate but then it just would wildly start peaking um so that was that was what was causing the issue but your audio sounds fine and it's it's wonderful that it sounds fine, and this all sounds fine now, and we can actually well, I, do like this. I, I was I was saying earlier, uh, you know, one of my you know New Year's resolutions is to become a, a better podcaster, mm -hmm. and I feel like this is a first step on the journey. <laughs> yes, this is a definitely a first step. And if you out there want to get into podcasting, well, uh, <laughs> then then just do it. No, I don't. Know. I kind of hate it when no, people no, say no. That, finish your it. thought. Finish your thought. I want to hear where that was going to go. Just do it. No, no, no. But if you're going to go out there and start podcasting, you can get a mic that would be sufficient for like a hundred bucks. If it is something that you really want to do, I feel like that's not asking a lot for for a, a hobby that you want to put a lot of time into. I would recommend. Um, I use a blue baby bottle uh, model microphone, which I think you can find for like around 400. Um, to me, it is the best kind of mic that you can get that has like a prosumer-ish sound without getting into like the thousands of dollars range. Um, if you really want to have like a nice warm studio sound, one that could actually like probably deliver um, professional audio to like if you were to submit for voiceover or something like that, I would recommend a mic like that. So you're probably at least going to have to pay like 400 or higher. But even uh, your mics, Adam, I think you said you got for like under 100 each or something like that. They were like 25 bucks each. Yeah. So even the mic. Oh, I just <laughs> I just whacked my uh, pop filter. Um, but um, yeah, that's so, going to sound great. So, so even... Uh, even, yeah, like if you want to, you can get a mic that'll work and, and will sound good enough, uh, for, for something like podcasting. If you're going to get into like recording music or, 
or doing VO, then you're going to want a nicer one. But uh, even something like this, it's just totally fine. Um, and this is the most rambling ass episode we've done. Let's be real. No, I know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just going off because it's been, it's been a while and I have a lot of things to talk about and I'm just kind of excited about audio stuff. Cause it took me forever to figure out all these things, but, um, yeah. Uh, hey, and, and you know what? I'm benefiting from your knowledge. I'm not talking shit. I'm, I'm just saying like both of us have just kind of been like rambling. Well, uh, and, and on top of a mic though, the thing that might end up costing you a bit more also is just and getting, concussion and concussion is uh, getting an interface because the people don't use a USB mic. Don't use a straight USB plug into your computer mic. Just don't do it, please. I'm begging you as an audio person. Just don't do that. Get an interface because an interface is not just something that communicates with your computer. It also is a preamp and gives phantom power to your microphone so that it sounds better. Um, that's what I'm doing. That's what that's what Adam's doing. So if you want to do podcasting, you can you can either go the route of getting an interface and a nice like condenser microphone, or um, something that uh, Sarah and I had done for a lot of the Bluth podcast um, is that we actually did record on dynamic microphones, um, uh, SM48s, I believe, and those ones were ones that you can hold, um, and, and you can record with dynamic ones. Uh, but we would record that into a Zoom because we usually we would be sitting in a living room with other people, uh, such as yourself, Adam. And then uh, we would have a bunch of cables connecting to a small audio device, the Zoom, on the table. But as far as doing distance recording, um, it's uh, for me, it's a lot nicer sitting in front of the condenser mic because it just has a, a nicer sound. There's less um, noise from like a hand rustling while holding a microphone. Uh, that happens a lot if you're using a dynamic one. Um, and I'm we're recording right now through a service called Cast, uh, which is made for distance recording, and it works pretty darn well. It it still bugs me that... We're, we're both running our own backups as well. Yes, but. we're each also recording in Audition. But the reason you can't just do that, and I learned that the hard way, is that if you record audio each on your own end, when you try and sync it up, um, there is a... Delay. There is latency between the the what you hear, and so when someone's saying something, you're not actually hearing it necessarily the instant that they're saying it. Um, so even if you if I took the two pieces of audio that Adam and I are recording and tried to put them together, they wouldn't necessarily fit together. Um, I would have to adjust the timing of responses for it to sound like a normal conversation. And somehow I don't know how they do it, but Cast avoids it. It makes it, it solves sync issues between us. And so it sounds like a normal conversation. The only thing that bugs me about them is that it doesn't give you wave files. It gives you like MP3s of the, of the tracks, but uh, that's a minor nitpick. It sounds fine. Um, so anyway, if you're trying to figure out how to do distance recording, that's the info that I can provide. Uh, get an interface, get a nice, a decent condenser mic, uh, get a pop filter for your, Mic. Don't record in an empty room, because when you record in an empty room, there's a lot of echo. You cannot do anything really to get rid of echo. Uh, you can kind of do it, but in my experience, it always destroys audio. Um, so if you can record in a room that has stuff in it, like even like a bed, bedrooms are actually great for recording audio because the bed will absorb a lot of echo. So like a sofa or something, but... Um, yeah, or you if you want to go the extra mile, you can like soundproof an environment. But I'm in a I'm in a room that's fairly big at the moment, so there's going to be some echo on my voice. Uh, haven't figured um, out that yet. 
anyway, that's a lot of rambling. Adam, what I, are your I thoughts on that? I keep not wanting to interrupt you, but you're like, we're also like the reference they just made about his uncle. Oh, right, right, right. What was it? <laughs> See? <laughs> you know, because people tune into Cinepreal to learn about podcasting. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I would hope. I, I, I kid. I appreciate your knowledge. Uh, but no, the whole thing was the fact that uh, his uncle Joey was still a baby in a playpen. Oh yeah, yeah, it, yeah. You know, Get used to these. Bars, as we saw earlier in the movie, Uncle Joey is still in prison. Um, but her mom made the like made the comment like, "Oh, he cries whenever we take him out, so we just leave him in there." Like, so he's already <laughs> used to the bars. <laughs> that is funny. And then it, there is like a payoff to that at the end. That's I like that in this movie that there are those little things too that because it's all set up to show you how it changes and and. He's not really an essential character or anything. He's kind of just a family member that's mentioned at few points in the film. And you see him as an infant here. But yeah, even that. But he still gets an arc. He has an arc. And it serves a purpose to indicate the impact of, uh, of what happens when they change the past. <clears throat> Boy, that water bottle's loud. When <laughs> when I just a, it's, a, it's a much chiller, funnier butterfly effect. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a... That's a good way. Of, even though logistically, it probably doesn't make much sense. <laughs> because if you changed even the slightest thing, it would drastically overhaul. That's not the point, though. That's not the point. The point is that your actions impact your future. The things that happen in the past impact the now. And that is the message, is that, you know, um, if you don't like the present, you need to build a time machine, go back, and adjust things that happened. <laughs> That's that's the lesson we need to take away from this movie. You know, right? Da you know what, Dax? You're absolutely right. People come to Cinepraisal to have time explained to them. <laughs> Let me talk to you about uh, parallel universe. No, so the, uh, the it, it does bug me a few points. There are like there's like one or two little logistical time travel nitpicks I have with uh, this, but it's more between the films than it is within any of them. It's like okay, so two things. One, yeah, real quick, I appreciate the fact that her father was drinking a Miller High Life because that was my beer of choice in college because it's incredibly cheap. Very nice. Two, um, I used to live down the street from the Gamble House, which oh, is what cool. they used for Doc's mansion. Yeah, they had to be very careful filming in there too. They were like, it was yeah. extremely. Uh, they were yeah they couldn't like damage it in any way <laughs> yeah that house is uh actually a historical site for those who don't know it's a historical site in pasadena uh and it's one of the best examples of the craftsman style house architecture right sorry uh there are no nails in the entire house everything's held together by wooden pegs and gravity Ooh, wow wow that is beautiful <laughs> right that is great. Sorry, it's like, I'm trying to have reverence for the Gamble House, but Doc Brown is just like wearing this ridiculous hat. <laughs> so yeah, I, I know there was like a lot of rambling about self stuff before this, but uh, I do actually want to, as you were trying to pull this, <laughs> you're trying to pull this horse on over to, uh, to. Uh, Did you forget the name of the movie? <laughs> No, I was trying to... Uh, the city that they're in. Oh, Pasadena? No. 
Hill Valley. Hill Valley. Hey. Okay. I was trying to say, you keep trying to pull this horse back on over to Hill Valley. Thank you. Uh, you, you know what, dude? It's cool. It's the last podcast of 2020. Granted, come to think of it, it'll be the first, the podcast, first podcast of 2021. So we should probably get better at this. We will get better at this because this is actually a much more feasible setup now. But yeah, I appreciate you trying to keep this on track. Um, but this was a very spontaneous... I mean, somebody has to. <laughs> this was a spontaneous pick because uh, I think... W- whereas in when we were trying to record in person ways back, we would sit down in the same room. And so we weren't limited to anything, but we do kind of have to pick as far as what is available per streaming options uh, in order to record it remotely. So this is... Although I suppose we could just, if we each had our own copy, hit play at the same time on movie player if we really wanted to um i mean yeah that's pretty much how we've been working it you know i like a lot of the movies that we've been picking are movies that we both have access to anyway um yes so yeah like when we go to do citizen kane you you have your own copy of citizen kane right Yeah, i got a blu-ray <laughs> yeah same i also have a blu-ray we can just do that what if they're In fact, different? If we're being real, this may actually be a better setup post pandemic. <laughs> yeah, it may very well be because now we live in different places. I live in West West Hills, and and you still live often in, in uh, L.A. and uh, and we uh, we're just worlds apart, you know. We're, you're actually like only like half an hour away, if I really. Because what's nice is my dad right here is kind of in the middle of the the valley. Uh, middle of a hill kind of valley, you know, if uh, if you really look at it. Anyway. Stop. Stop. <laughs> Just stop. <laughs> Actually, I think, if I'm not mistaken, the opening of the second one, or is it this? I can't remember. Somewhere in here, they, um, they're they near, like, an old ranch at Agora Hills, which is near where I went to high school, um, over in Calabasas, or near Calabasas, and yes, Ag- <laughs> Gore is not in Calabasas, but they are next to each other, and I grew up in Calabasas. Um, but they're, yeah, there's like uh, places that they are in in this movie that are just not too far from us uh, geographically. But well, I mean, I, I've I've said that many times that like part of the reason why I love living here is because we live in the place where movies take place. Yeah, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun. Like the drive up to the Vasquez church I rocks. used to go to uh, was used in an episode of Angel. Um, oh yeah, that's fun. Like just just living and working in Los Angeles. Like eventually you're gonna see something that you saw in a movie. Yeah, there's that school in Culver City that um, was used in Greece, right? Or something like. Am I crazy? Or so I don't know. I I don't fucking know. <laughs> I'm 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 not or a Greece was it Buffy? person. I can't remember. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, this is a well, the the school from Buffy, or at least you know the one in the first uh, three seasons was um, Torrance. Oh, okay. Well, good. We cleared that up. <laughs> but anyway, I uh, <laughs> my dad doesn't live far from the 118, so that is like a nice backdoor entrance to LA on the uh, on the east side. <laughs> So it's like I can just kind of go around and avoid what uh, 101 people would have to deal with. But uh, I'm really realistically not more than like 35 or 40 minutes uh, away from from getting back in town. But regardless, this is still a more helpful, I think, way of uh, managing recording the podcast. And it is, again, when we're sitting on a couch, we don't necessarily have access to 
a computer <laughs> um, that we can sit and if we need to check something really quick, we can. Um, you know, and pretend to know things. <laughs> I, I'm always fact checking stuff before I say it. Even like something at the top of this, I it, when we did the false start, I was like, oh, who did, did he? Was he the this or this? And then so I had to like check it beforehand. Um, I love all the photographs he has of uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> great thinkers up there. 1985. Uh, is this Michael J. Fox's uh, most iconic role as well? I wonder. Or do you think it's Teen Wolf? <laughs> what do we, what I would, would definitely we... say this because I've never seen Teen Wolf. <laughs> right. I... <laughs> but um, what a, um, you know, just a wonderful. And he was, wasn't he doing both uh he was on family ties at the same time oh right that was it so God that's, that's one of the things that uh he talks about in the behind the scenes is the fact that like people talk about like oh back to the future making that movie it must have been so much fun he's like no not really because i didn't sleep for like a solid month and a half yeah this is the fun because th- he would do he would shoot family ties during the day and then shoot back to the future at night the fun thing about making anything is that <laughs> even if the end product ends up being great and something that you look at and you're like, oh, wow, everybody's just having a good time. That uh, seems like a, this worked really well. The fact is it was probably very hard. <laughs> it was probably very like much like any other job where you had to put in a ton of hours. They had to do takes like over and over and over again to get it right. And not that that isn't rewarding. It's just it's not like. Uh, it's not like all fun and games. It's just, it is also a job that you're doing and you, uh, you know, you take it seriously and you do your job well. But yeah, I can totally imagine this would have been very stressful to make, but it at least did pay off into a very classic and a hall, hall of fame worthy piece of cinema. Great. Yeah. Scott. Like, you know, it's that whole thing of you never know. You, you never know where life's going to take you. You never know which project is going to be the project. They're like, yeah, like, you know, like we were saying, like, this is probably his most iconic role. And it's something that he hated making the first time around. (laughs) Which you you could say the same thing about Harrison Ford, who fucking despises, despises uh, Han Solo. Yeah. Yeah. He very clearly does not care. (laughs) I was I was watching something the other day where he was being interviewed and they're like, you know, did you did you uh, did you get emotional putting the old costume back on? He's like, no, I got paid. No, I got paid. (laughs) Well, that's that's another thing, like that gravelly voice thing that he does now that he's old. That's not how he actually speaks all the time, because you can definitely hear him talk. And it's like, oh, no, you sound exactly the same way you did in the 70s. You're just old and don't want to anymore. Yeah, you're just bored with that. I mean, is is Indiana Jones the only role he like loves playing? Probably. I feel like he. I think he liked uh, Decker and, and Blade Runner. I feel like he. Uh, I feel like some part of him held pride at least in that role. Um, yeah, he definitely uh, holds pride in Blade Runner, but he's talked about the fact that with that movie, because Ridley Scott was focused so like his attention to detail on the production design right. is so high that they weren't getting as much direction as he would have liked. Hmm. So, well, yeah, that is like the worst love story <laughs> in in a movie for for a whole pile of reasons. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
It's a better that love story feels more believable in in the sequel than it does in the original movie. Like I wish that it felt like it had the impact that it and the weight that it does in the follow-up, you know. Yeah, the sequel makes the sequel makes the impact so like you feel such emotion when uh, you know, spoiler alert for Blade Runner 2049, but when uh they bring the new replicant of Rachel out. Yeah. And like he's like, that's not her. Her eyes were green, and you're like, yeah, you feel so much emotion. But when you watch the original Blade Runner, you're just like, yeah, these are people that kind of like each other, I guess. Yeah, these They're are people reliant that on bang. one another for their lives, right? <laughs> they want to bone down. We we can we can definitely see that. But uh, but yeah, you don't do feel... they though? Do they though? Because we know he does. But yeah, you don't. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You don't. You don't feel that uh, it having been a loving thing until the the following film and yeah the whole like oh god that then what happens after he says that too is just so like jesus um yeah but the and also i will comment on that scene having the only good um cgi face work i have ever seen in a movie where they tried to make someone look like a younger version of so i i for the life of me i've just never seen it done in a way that ever was believable except for that film where it's like oh my god yeah that one it it was it was really goddamn good very close and Um, the fact that that rachel's a replicant too even would excuse it being slightly off you know be like yeah yeah she's not real um sorry not to talk about blame we will do don't worry we will do our five episode spectacular on every cut of blade runner one day. I mean, shouldn't it really be a six-episode spectacular? <laughs> oh, right, because so we, we can do the... include the movie. Well, then it'll be uh, a seven. Include uh, the sequel. It, well, it'll be like actually, won't it be like nine? Because we're gonna inc- we'll do one for each of the the short films as well. Okay, so if we're gonna do that, it should probably be ten because I always like to I like to slide in the uh, the TED talk that Peter Whalen gives in the Prometheus prequel, like. Uh, we talk over a TED talk. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. It's, I, I just, I first off, that speech. It's the entire thing is very Ayn Rand, you know, for better or worse. Um, but that speech, a lot of what he's talking about, does kind of bleed over into that Blade Runner timeline. Mm. Okay, I don't know. I've never heard it, but I, I'd be curious to listen to it. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's it's like it's like a six minute, I think it's like six minutes of him like on stage at a at a TED talk in Long Beach, and just giving this incredible speech about like uh, all the progress that mankind's made, da 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 da, and so how he shouldn't be stopped now from doing what he's trying to do because mm. you know how like we've made all this progress, why would we stop? Yeah. Well, you know, Why laws we, of human nature, maybe. No. Why would we stop right. entitled to the sweat of our brow? You know how it goes. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's funny because Brad Bird also has a lot of very um, Ayn Rand-ish uh, things in the things that he does. And uh, you watch you watch Iron Giant and there's like a moment in it that sort of hints to it where like the kid is talking, um, Hogarth is talking about like, you know, I do the homework and then people want to copy me. But if they just did the homework, they would get better as well. And it's like this one moment in, in Iron Giant that like starts to lean just a little bit into the Ayn Rand thing. 
but I feel like that doesn't come forward until um, The Incredibles, where it's like the entire thesis and thematic structure of, of what The Incredibles is, is kind of about the importance of excellence being unique. And uh, <laughs> it's like, you, it's a little more prevalent. Still a fabulous, amazing film, but it is much more obvious uh, that the Ayn Rand thing is uh, on his mind in The Incredibles films. <laughs> um, but uh, you ever play Bioshock? Yes. <laughs> yes. Okay, there we go. Anyway, <laughs> would you kindly that, play Bioshock? I'm, I'm, uh, I'm just, I'm looking at that blazer that that his dad was wearing. Like, that's... <sighs> It was a gray patterned back with a blue, like solid blue front. Like that was a weird suit. Man, the 50s was a strange time. I love the clothes. I love how strange all the clothes are in this. Have you ever seen the extended... Well, that's another thing that I think is funny. You know, we were talking about uh, past generations understand, like, you know, the way people view the past. And I think because movies from the 30s, 40s, 50s tend to be in black and white, People think that everyone just wore black and gray clothing. It's like, no, those are all extremely colorful times. Yeah. Yeah. There's been life and color. It's been life has been in color (laughs) for a long time. I don't know if people know this. Uh, We've had color for, for, for quite a while. I will say I remember as a kid. Oh. Uh, oh, my dad told me when he was a kid, he made those scooter things. They were made using roller skates. Oh, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, veg- roller skates and, like, vegetable boxes. That's but so fun. Anyway, like, I remember when I did see this as a kid, they, uh, um, <laughs> when you see him slide the tape into the cassette for Van Halen, like, I had no idea, like, I knew that Van Halen was a band, and I knew that they made, like, metal-adjacent music. And, like, that was it. Now, as an adult, I know that Van Halen fucking rocks. Oh. So, you know, that looking back on movies as you age. <laughs> it's something you appreciate. Right. You appreciate a lot more. Um, I comment on that scene. Uh, if you have the DVDs or the Blu-ray or whatever, uh, they usually have the deleted scenes. And you can actually watch the extended version of that scene uh, where he wakes he wakes up his dad with the with the music and then like there is a whole conversation that he has like convincing him of what to do. I do like how they edited it in the final product because it is a fun cut to just go from that to him running, you know. But um, it is a fun scene to watch if you want to look at any of the things that were taken out. It, it's just kind of like a, a cute back and forth between them. Um <laughs> Crispin Glover is such an interesting actor. He really is. Uh, wasn't he in um, uh, one of the Halloween films? Isn't that like one of his famous first roles? Like as an like when he was an unknown. Am I crazy? Uh, I I don't know. I know that he was in the remake of Willard. Fabulous. <laughs> I'm looking this up. Crispin Glover, what's your filmography? And Crispin Glover, I guess they had a falling out in the second and third ones for this. Right, yeah. Which is why you never see his face. Uh, <laughs> there's like very, it's uh, very... No, no you, you do see his face in the second one. And it's like, I, I was really kind of blown away by that. 
because uh, he's he's hanging upside down. Oh, Friday the 13th. But, That's what I was thinking of. Is Friday the 13th, the final chapter has Crispin Glover. Anyway, carry on. No, no. It's like I I found out after the fact that he wasn't in the second one, even though the character is. And yeah. they cast somebody who looks a hell of a lot like him, I will say. Yeah. It's just they don't focus too much. We haven't really talked about right, Biff. Right, They don't really hold on him. We haven't really talked about Biff Tannen. Um who's a very interesting figure throughout this entire trilogy. And um, also, this is one of those few films where I feel like it's almost necessary to even dip into the theme park lore uh, of Back to the Future. Um, you know, I never got to ride the ride. Oh, I always wanted to. I'm so I always sorry. Wanted to. I'm so sorry. I think you can watch the video like they have like kind of a recreation of it in the bonus features it's not the same but you can essentially see the storyline of what the the ride was but i loved the ride i i it was my every time i went to universal uh studios that was the thing that we had to do was go to the back to the future ride it didn't matter i would believe it i mean like Here's the thing. By the time I was out here and, you know, able to go to Universal kind of whenever I want, um, they had already switched over to The Simpsons. The Simpsons ride, And yeah. The Simpsons ride is a lot of fun. It's, it's a fun. lot of fun. In, but in, I've al- always lamented the fact that I never got to ride the Back to the Future ride. Yeah. Well, if only we could go Back to the Future. Um, but the... Uh, no, Back <laughs> to the Past. Samurai Jack. Uh, so, the... Yeah, the the ride for all intents and purposes is very similar to what the Simpsons ride is now and what the Star Tours ride at, you know, Disneyland is like. It was just you were on but you were in a DeLorean. You were in a DeLorean and you were being jostled around and you were uh, you know, you had to go through time and it was really intense. And I will never forget it was the funniest memory, but my mom we had brought my grandma <laughs> to Universal Studios one time (laughs) and we tried to get her we got her to go on the Back to the Future ride and 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 she just was like oh no (laughs) it was apparent that it was actually like really traumatizing because of how much that ride jostles you around I was very young if I was the age I am now back then I think I would have been like Guys, I don't know if we should like bring grandma on the back of the future, right? It might actually be physically That's not horrible. A, not good idea. That's so bad. <laughs> but for whatever I'm sorry, re- Dax's grandma. Whatever reason, uh Ruth <laughs> was convinced to go on it. Maybe I did have something to do with it. I hope not. But uh Knowing you, I assume. <laughs> but 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 anyway, it is, uh, nevertheless, I lament that it's not here. Is it still in one of the Japanese uh, Universal Studios? I wonder. I can't remember. But I think at some point there was still one that was, like, lingering in Japan. Um, but there also, if you go to the one in Orlando, I think you can even see the time train from part three. Like, they have that. 
That's cool. I want to see it. I want to be in front of that train and take a picture of me with that train because it is the the coolest train out of anything (laughs) ever made. I love that time train. It's so badass. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I think Zach has a picture with it. Because uh, ah! I, I I think there there may be more than one. Because I think there's one out here as well. Is Not there at Universal? But like on a, a lot somewhere. I have seen. I do want to say I have seen the Del- some of the DeLoreans from this film because uh, they have occasionally they'll like bring them to an event. And I remember one time going to a screening of this somewhere in L.A. with with some friends. I don't know if you ever went to. I don't even remember when the timeline is of this. But they had. A one of the DeLoreans uh, outside parked, and so like occasionally I've seen some of the actual ones in person, and yeah, they believe yeah they had one of them in front of the ride at a uh, Universal, and uh, uh, unfortunately the one at Universal Studios Japan closed in 2016. No. Yet another thing ruined by 2016. No. <laughs> no. This is this is always one of my favorite parts of these movies is uh, when they build the models. So I just thought of this uh, old memory of um. Well, like, hold, on, hold on, hold on, I just want to point out, like, what did they think was going to happen when they did this? Like, I understand the concept of building the model to show, like, yeah, you're gonna drive and you're gonna hit that wire. When they chose to electrify it, what was the plan here? <laughs> Scientifically, what was the actual plan? Right. <laughs> Like, they didn't expect it to catch on fucking fire. (laughs) (laughs) And drive straight for a pail of, of, like, fucking oily rags. Now you're just becoming the no-fun police if we we, we try and break this movie down too much. Oh, no. I just said this is one of my favorite parts of these movies. (laughs) What did she say? No, but... But to close up my my thinking about it, I just wanted to bring up the ride because to me the ride is like such an integral expansion. Like you were saying that there's a lot of fun to play around with this movie. The ride, even though canonically doesn't really fit anywhere in the overall narrative of the three films, spiritually the ride's story does fit with these characters and everything that happens. And Biff being the central villain in that ride is is still compelling and he's very good at that character <laughs> in uh, in the stuff that they had done for the ride, and it almost makes you hate him well, even more if you had experience. My my understanding is that it uh, exists within the timeline of the cartoon. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, <laughs> uh, if you're not familiar with the with the cartoon, it's it's fun but kind of rough to watch these days yeah but uh, as many of those yeah, sorts basically of the idea are... is that after after uh you know the whole thing with the time train in the third one mm-hmm. and you know doc and marty and his wife who i can't remember her name off uh, basically doc his wife and their kids jules and Vern, just come back to hill valley and settle down it's like yeah we can travel anywhere we want let's just settle down in suburban california um <laughs> Because why wouldn't you? But, but like, they just make that their home base to continue going on adventures. And so, like, Marty shows up every once in a while, but it's mostly just Doc and his kids, like, traveling through time, getting into shit, and running into other past versions of Biff. Hmm. Um, also and my to... understanding of the ride is that it's basically that, just Biff manages to steal the time machine again. I also want to say the name of uh, Doc Brown's wife is uh, Clara Clayton. 
Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Clara Clayton, played by uh, Mary, Mary Steenburgen, who is just like a crush for life. Like, I will always have a crush on Mary Steenburgen. Aw. <laughs> Very lovable. Well, and how, you know, uh, you wouldn't... That's like one of those things where I feel like a movie could so easily screw it up. Where it's like, oh, everyone's got to have a love interest. Now Doc Brown has to have a love interest. Come on. But it works. It, yeah. it, it legitimately works in part three where you're like, oh, I I believe this. I believe this love interest for, because, uh, for, you know, you have the time. It's the third film, so you have time to expand on this. Um, <laughs> and this these parts are wonderful between Fox and, and Glover. Like, you you really do feel like, they are friends. They're becoming friends uh, despite their differences. And yet he still is navigating this weird line of knowing that that this is his that dad. That this is his father. Yeah. yeah. But also trying to teach his dad. And that's, like, <laughs> you know, it's a fun dynamic. Like, he, in, in terms of why this is, uh, like, you know, again, one of Michael J. Fox's, like, most iconic roles, I think it's because it's really nuanced acting mm. because you can tell what he's thinking versus what he's saying. Yeah. Just and a lot of that has scene. to do with like his physicality in this like, scene the way alone. that he like puts his hand on his father's shoulder is with that like extra layer of like, this is weird. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He does that thing where it's like his whole shoulders kind of like roll and his like head moves in this certain way. And it's like, this is very strange. The situation I am now put in, but I'm rolling with it, and I'm gonna I'm gonna right. make this work. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of subtlety and nuance in this performance, which, like on the surface level, seems very broad. But I think, I, I think that yeah, a lot of it's just in the physicality. Yeah, and you, I wouldn't say it's not hammy. This movie has like a lot of hammy acting in it as well, but it's balanced by nuanced acting, and I think that's a you know, I get annoyed by how serious everything is now. Everything is just so dramatic. Um, I don't think it has to be that way. I think you can still do things like this. I think if you play it a certain way, you can have the kind of cheesy Hollywoodness or the melodram melodramatic kind of things that always make media fun, as long as you have the the grit and the soul and the the meaningful heartfelt stuff too. It doesn't have to well, be, you know, one you know what? Other. I'll say like, that's, that's what I love about the Kingsman movies. Hmm. Uh, like I the Kingsman movies are just, they're just fun, fun spy movies. Like they feel like the extension of like the 1960s bond movies, uh, or, or probably more of an extension of like Roger Moore. Mm -hmm. Um, like they're very much that like lighthearted, you know, you've got super villains that are doing super villain shit, but like, End of the day, they're really just like these cool, fun, lighthearted spy movies uh, with ultra violence. That's fine. I should check them out at some point. I have strong, strong recommendation for you and our listeners at home. For spies. We'll do them for Spy Timber next year. I don't know. <laughs> so it's a ways away. Um, there actually is a deleted scene here they took out. And I'm kind of glad they took it out, but... Uh, uh, Doc Brown, it more obviously uh, bribes 
You can still see it there. He's kind of yeah. You see t- him take his wallet out, but yeah, it's not so um, in your face as it is in the deleted scene where it's like you. It shows him handing the money very, very close up. Um, so I kind of like there. It's kept to more of a like here, uh, t- <laughs> you know, take this because <laughs> it it still makes you like him without making him feel too slimy. Um, Enchantment under the sea, a sequence that has been parodied. 50 billion times, and all of them by Seth MacFarlane in various shows that he's done. <laughs> I mean, I've been to an event that was just the Enchantment Under the Sea dance. Like, it was a singles mixer. <laughs> That's great. I mean, it's... This is, like, the quintessential uh, prom sort of, like... Par- I don't know what the word I'm looking for, but just, like, the the stereotype of a prom is kind of this sequence in this movie now. Um, yeah. And I, it is funny to think about how iconic it is, but just how well it works in this movie is, this is a wonderful series of events and everything has been leading up to this and you really do feel the uncomfortableness of (laughs) of Marty. Oh, and his mom taking the swig. That's not just taking the swig, but also offering (laughs) to park like, She's like, oh, yeah, you think I've never parked before? I'm almost 16. Like, good Lord. <laughs> but, but that's what I love about this, because it really confronts the idea of, like, when you're young, your parents seem like these infallible people that are just beacons of perfect. I mean, I'm I'm lucky. I have, I've had wonderful parents, and I've had loving human beings that have raised me. Um, but in your eyes, when you're younger, you feel kind of like they are these um, people who could do no wrong. And and it's interesting when you get older and you start realizing, oh, no, my parents are human beings as I am and have made mistakes as well. That doesn't make them worse. It doesn't make them people I don't love in, in any less. It, But it is that realization that, like, you were definitely placing um, this um, impossible image on top of them when you're a kid. And it is always funny when you find out, like, oh, no, no, no mom drank like a sailor back <laughs> in high school, you know, or something like that. And that's what's so fun at that moment is he, to him, it's that like, mom, what are you, do- <laughs> what, are you what are you doing? <laughs> that doesn't seem like you. And I think, you know, it's easy. It probably also is like when you get older, maybe you do start to tone those things down, especially around your kids because you're trying to set a better example. But I think very few right. films address that dynamic of realization in the most awkward kiss in cinema, um, the way that this well, one and does. I think that's that's also just one of those things like with parenting in general, because you're trying to set a good example, you end up doing things because you're trying to set a, set a good example. Like you don't do things the way that you did before you were a parent. Uh, and it's just like after a while, that example that you're trying to put on basically just becomes who you are. Yeah. Yeah, you become the the thing you were pretending to be. Exactly. <laughs> this is so well played too, because this I imagine if you were like a studio executive on this film back then, and you're handed this script where in it there is a scene where it's like his mom kisses him. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to go into too much depth on this, just because I strongly recommend that everybody watch the uh, the pitch meeting video for this. Right. Uh, if you've never seen the Screen Rant pitch meetings, oh, the Screen Rant videos fantastic. are fantastic. I love. I love. Yeah, them. Uh, Ryan George is an extremely funny Canadian comedian who does them. Um, just they deserve your time. Is all I'll say. Yes. They're they're uh, watch them. They're fun. They're on YouTube. It's easy. It's barely an inconvenience. Um, so <laughs> they're tight. They're tight. Uh, yeah. Uh, did you forget something? Yeah. Uh, super easy. Barely an inconvenience. <laughs> what? I just. I feel like I felt compelled. I had to come back and say that for some reason. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. I let, wait. Reefer addict. <laughs> I, you know what? It's all fun and games till the the jazz musicians come to save the day. No, rock musicians. What are they playing in the? I can't even remember what they're actually playing in the in the final set. Aren't they playing like they're playing like older? Like until until the 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 Chuck Berry thing kicks in. I'm trying to remember what the music is that they're playing. We'll find out soon enough. This scene is iconic, too. Do the right thing. Do the right thing, McFly. And this... Yeah. Good job, George. The moment that that changes his entire life. I will say the first time I ever stood up for myself, I got punched in the head. Yeah, (laughs) but you did it. You know, I mean, wish you hadn't gotten punched in the head, but. (laughs) But. I don't know. Maybe there is something to say about running away sometimes. <laughs> about not, not getting punched in the head. But in the I was movie... having this conversation with a friend of mine uh, a couple weeks ago because she and she like still knows the guy, and just like, yeah, he like he punched me in the head in such a way oh. that it was less him punching me in the head and more like him driving my head to the ground with his fist. Jesus. <laughs> So on the note of fists, though, I do want to say that um, that is the most satisfying fist curl in cinema. Like I'd agree with that. Like just the anticipation on like clenching his hand together and just the satisfaction of him decking Biff is is you know his hand hurts like a motherfucker right now. Yes, it would realistically be very painful. But as far as a storytelling mechanism, (laughs) it's great. And history, history is set set more right than it was. That's the great thing here is it's not just course correction of uh, of his own mistake. It's course correction of his father's mistake as well. Wait, was that Talia Shire? Was it? <laughs> no, that's not Talia Shire. <laughs> and all of this is background to. Uh, not background, but in tandem with the logistical problem of him needing to get back to the future. Um, He said the line.
That's right. We're not out of the we're not out of the woods yet. <laughs> That's such a great face. Right. Yeah. All right. All right. It's working. Not bad. It's doable. I like also just it's like uh, Michael J. Fox. Uh, Marty is a very white person in this moment. And so there's mm-hmm. also kind of that moment of like, okay, <laughs> okay, you can. Because, you know, it would have been, uh, it, it in a subtle way, it, it does address an element of race and how a certain kind of music, you know, wouldn't have necessarily been played as much by a bunch of white people uh, at that point. It wasn't stolen yet. <laughs> Right, right. It wasn't taken away. I'm sorry. <laughs> Probably like that guy's such an asshole. <laughs> like cartoonishly cackling. <laughs> and no, no one's noticing as Marty fades from the timeline. Right. He just shoves him down. Does he even get back up? I, I would call this, I'd call this like one of the best like love stories of our childhood. Aw. <laughs> I always love the timing of that. I think yes, even like, the, when he stands up. <laughs> yeah, it feels like they sped up the footage there just a little bit. So I he think like, they did. <laughs> so he like bolts up, right? <laughs> My hand's working. Great. <laughs> I have a hand again. Yeah, and I like this too that like um it the beauty of this is obviously his dad is the one that saves ultimately does save his own story um from the help and advice of of Marty, but Marty still kind of is lending a hand literally uh through this part to make sure that the past does correct itself. Um so he's still he's not out of the narrative. You know, it wasn't just entirely him handing it off to his dad to fix things. Um, and then this is just And fun. now, of course, he has to take a victory lap. Yeah, this is just fun. This is the point where the film knows it's won, for the most part, emotionally. But uh, this this is the kind of thing, like, is just one of the most satisfying, like, payoff sequences It really is like the celebration of this movie before the main conflict has been solved. Like one <laughs> of the main true. conflicts has been solved, but he's he isn't... still stuck in 1955. <laughs> right. But we're going to rock. We're going to rock like it isn't. <laughs> this is, yeah, this is, uh, if, if any part of the film could be considered gratuitous, maybe it's this one, but in the best possible way. Yeah, yeah. Like, no one's complaining about this. <laughs> Ooh, setting in. And that's that's another thing. Even through this scene, there is, like, a little bit of a hint as to what's going to happen. Uh, ah, it's just I'm getting chills. Yeah, the, the fact that they're, like... 
now their romance isn't based on the fact that her father hit him with a car while he was peeping on somebody. It's based right. on the fact that he actually, you know, for the first time in his life, stood up for himself and for someone else. Yeah. Listen to this. Plus, we're going going to imply that a white man gave Chuck Berry the idea for Johnny <laughs> B. Good. <laughs> right. I want to say it doesn't come from a mean place. In, I don't oh, feel like not. the intent was ever for it to be that. But it is it is kind of a thing. You look and you're like, eh, eh, eh. Well, it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's coming from a space of just like, hey, isn't this fun? But without recognizing the idea that the contributions of black people have always been kind of overridden by white history. Exactly. So, Yeah. It's like when a friend of mine told me that he made he made a, a joke about fried chicken and Kool-Aid in front of a black girl that he liked, assuming that she knew him well enough to know that, like, Ooh. it was a joke. And I'm like, yeah, you don't get to make that assumption, man. Like, you don't get to make that choice. <laughs> this is the awkward ending. <laughs> Silence. <laughs> yeah, it, it can't be too much fun in games. <laughs> And I do like that reality check of like, yeah, we're still. <laughs> yeah, there was a They Might Be Giants concert when I was in college that they did exactly that. Uh, like they just, like their song just started degrading into like weird clicks and buzzing sounds. That sounds like and uh, they're like. In the future, this is what music will sound like, right. and your children will love it. <laughs> but I like it because it almost is like having your anachronism and eating it, too. Um, it, it lets you have this thing that obviously, it, you know, it doesn't feel necessarily like a whole auditorium would start rocking out to Johnny Be Good. But what the hell? They're going to do it. Uh, but yeah, there is that moment of like, oh. Yeah, this is maybe a bit a bit too far for for what would really happen in this time frame. Uh, but again, it's just one of the fun lines that this movie keeps playing with as far as uh, what would happen and what's fun or what works for the story. Um, sure. <laughs> go easy on him. You know, you already it's say nice it's... that that's like that's the moment that he chose to like. I can't really fuck with time and history. However, <laughs> this thing. And also uh, the iconic uh, it's been educational line is is uh, also one of my favorites. Damn, damn. Yeah. Oh, wait. No, it's this one. Damn, damn. There we go. Damn, damn. <laughs> the double damn is the best one. <laughs> World's leading auto accessory stores, Western auto stores. And yeah, it, yeah, it's weird. This movie almost has like several climaxes because you, yeah, you have to have the um, the emotional resolve between him and his parents, and then you have to solve this, and then beyond this, there's also the issue of Doc's fate that is kind of lingering. So there's all these little things that still hold you invested, and nothing is totally resolved until the very end. Um, yeah. Even though and Nothing in this movie is wasted. There there are no wasted lines of dialogue, no wasted... And, like, not in the sense of, like, Game of Thrones, where in order to understand it, you need to, like, listen to every line of dialogue. No, this is more just, like, 
they've made a point of making sure that everything means something. Like, yeah. you can enjoy this movie on so many levels, but if you're actually paying attention to every line of dialogue, which clearly you're not if you're listening to us right now, but for future <laughs> watchings, if you actually pay attention to every line of dialogue, there's always, like, a joke or a reference or, like, some connection to something that's going to happen later on. And it's a very satisfying movie. Yeah, a lot of payoffs are set up and pay off. And uh, that's why it falls so well into the kind of classic uh, screenwriting structure of Hollywood. Because you, you have those... Uh, on things. my desk right now, I have my little uh, DeLorean time machine model that I built. <laughs> nice. And there's a little tiny uh, little tiny alarm clock on the dashboard. <laughs> my dad was trying to find the... When I told him we were going to watch this one, um, he was trying to find, like, the Lego DeLorean that he has somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> like the box, but I don't know. Couldn't find it. I do have a Lego yellow submarine sitting here, though, uh, which is which is fun. That's not, that's a different. You know, I'll, have to, I'll have to take a picture of my DeLorean just so we can throw it up there for no, you know, for funsies. For funsies. Because we're human peoples. <laughs> yeah. Yellow submarine is more of a different kind of traveling uh, vehicle. <laughs> oh, and I love this. He is still trying to. This is actually the crux of the continuity problem I have with this and part three or like because this whole thing of like the letter um at the end of the second one the future marty the future future marty comes to doc after the past yeah immediately after this immediately yeah. after this and causes doc to faint which to me, would mean Doc did not go and get the letter and pick it up out of the trash. Uh, no, no, no. He doesn't have to go pick it up. He put it in his pocket. When he was ripping it up, uh, like, oh, does he'd have he? to wind it back, which we can't do. But he actually just takes the ripped up letter and puts it back in his pocket. Oh, maybe that, okay, then maybe that does work. But it still feels, for some reason, it feels to me like, well, doesn't that distract him from, of like, I mean, eventually, I guess he would realize that there was that ripped thing, but it, okay, well, then maybe I'm wrong. I always felt like. Yeah, I mean, how how many times have you put on a jacket that you haven't worn in a while and found something in the pocket? You're like, oh, shit. So you just would have like, found I'm, it later still. Okay. Right. But that's so funny because he then has to like go, wait a minute. Oh, yeah, this is from the previous Marty. Oh, shit. That's a thing I got. <laughs> I got to also prepare for that. <laughs> I mean, it, it does. It does also speak to his willingness to read it uh, with the second movie, because that doc has now been through so much time traveling shenanigans and hijinks that he recognizes like, oh, no, if he's going to go out of his way to give me this, it's kind of important. <laughs> That's true. The future. Also, if you ever go go on the uh, ride at the tour at Universal, I don't know if it still does it, but they would show the uh, they would show like the sets for Hill Valley. I think there was even one time you could go through like a, a ride where they would reenact this sequence with the clock. They had like a recreation of the clock tower, and they would like do the effect live. And that's uh, cool. And I might have even been a volunteer that got to do it when I was younger. I literally cannot remember if this is true or not, and I may be making it up. But I feel like I, there I was... think I probably mentioned this in our Raiders of the Lost Ark one, but I got to be the volunteer at the stunt show at uh, the MGM Studios in nice. Disney. Nice. Yeah, it was a good time. It's always fun. It's always fun. 
because you get to see a little behind the scenes magic. Um, do dirt 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 dirt. dirt, dirt, dirt. I just, not even like not even singing the right score or anything. Um, no, no, you're not. <laughs> and this is my, <laughs> this is very. How's that? How's that monitor hearing working for you, Dad? You can't even sing the right thing. <laughs> I have not even the right part. Um, this is my go-to music because sometimes when I've been editing podcasts, um, especially for like the blue stuff, I would uh, when I would need to cut in something or like adjust uh, timelines. This was always a favorite piece of music to kind of throw under that. <laughs> um, I mean, this this is one of those songs that, uh, like, I I often, you know, well, once upon a time when I used to go places and, like, drive places, what? when I was driving what? to work, I would mostly listen to either podcasts, audiobooks, or film scores. And um, this is, like, one of the film scores that I would listen to while driving because, like, you just feel cool driving a car to the Back to the Future theme. If you haven't done it, again, strong recommendation. <laughs> and I believe this lightning was probably ILM. I'm assuming. I probably. Think, I think it was. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the like Zemeckis, Spielberg, Lucas continuum. Yeah, it looks like Ghostbusters lightning. Or whoa. Um. Because yeah, it looks it looks like it's hand drawn. That's the fun thing is like old lightning effects used to be used to employ um, effects animators. So like the same people who would do effects work for even hand drawn films, two D animated films would sometimes be the ones who were doing uh, doing stuff like this, doing like lightning effects. Pretty convincing. I, I I think it's funny that as much as this movie ended up being like a really great advertisement for the like the DeLorean automobile, mm-hmm. um, it really kind of makes you feel like DeLoreans just won't start randomly. Because <laughs> that's like the second time in this movie where it's had a problem where like the starter didn't work. That's a running, you know, that bothers me in a lot of films when it's like, oh, the car doesn't start. But in this one, it's done so recurrently that it, it's funny because it becomes like, no, it's just, it's a problem with this particular car. Literally just needs a mechanic to get in there and actually fix something. Uh, even though it's a conceit, in this film series, it works because of the recurrence of it. And uh, right. <laughs> and then, yeah, you have the problem with the gas in the third one. And it's just like, we got to use a train to actually get it to to move. You know what? I I hard relate to this right now because I bought two new Ethernet cables, Cat8, (laughs) high-grade Ethernet cables. I got a 50-foot one and a 25-foot one because the internet at my dad's house is at the other end in his bedroom. That's where, like, the access point of his, his modem and wireless router. So what we did was the wireless can't reach the other side of the house. So we set up another Wi-Fi router that I had in the living room. So we had to use a 50-foot cable to get from there to here, which it does reach. And then I thought 25 feet would be enough to get to my computer. Real real quick, I just want to point out that Doc (laughs) set the timer for a very specific time. He also has this cable that is a very specific length. And yet, the timer went off before Marty was able to start driving the car. And... 
he's going to do the like this where he has enough slack that he can wrap it around the clock uh, around the clock hands and slide down. Like it's nice that he gave so much padding to everything. <laughs> gave himself time to work with here. No, but anyway, I got it. I thought 25 feet would be enough to reach my computer and I ran it around the room and realized it was like just a few feet short. So that moment of him just like trying to connect two things that are just he barely doesn't have the slack to do it. Yeah, that's definitely hand-drawn lightning effects. Um the fact that he doesn't have enough uh slack was very relatable for the other day for me. And so what we ended up doing was we actually lifted up the carpet. And because it's a flat cable, we just laid it across the room under the carpet. <laughs> so it was a whole ordeal just to get wired Ethernet internet to my computer so that we could be recording this episode for you right now <laughs> without any potential internet problems. <laughs> so you're welcome. We did it for you. I, I suffered through not buying a long enough Ethernet cable. <laughs> I was not involved, but still, you're welcome. <laughs> Apparently, though, the difference between Cat5 and Cat8 is quite significant. Like, Cat5 uh, Ethernet caps out at around, like, 100 megabytes. And Cat8 caps out at 40 gigabytes. <laughs> I, I I really like that match shot. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the, it's, it's such a great match shot because, like, you... You assume that it's just, you know, Doc looks up, cut to the, the clock tower at the exact angle. Like, oh, wait, no helicopter <laughs> yep it's a very clever way to bridge uh back into the present which is now the past for us but assembly of christ reverend john crump salvation is free <laughs> elmo's something shout outs to goodwill who has been here the entire time. I just like he's he's happy to see the the porno is still on the marquee. And I, I, I love that he's on a first name basis with that bum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clearly this is a problem with the car itself. <laughs> Not just a conceit of the film. Marty, I got a guy. I got a mechanic. Uh, JC, I'm going to give you his number. Take a look at it. He'll be able to fix this. You left the door open in the middle of the... Whatever. Just nobody... Yeah, like there's nothing to, nothing to stop Rhett there from just getting up and getting in the time machine. Although he is out of plutonium, but he could still wreck the thing. And of course, the, the lone pine from earlier. And this is kind of the first time we see, it happens even in the first movie, we see Oh him, yeah, getting to watch earlier events from a different angle. Yeah, which will be expanded upon greatly in part two. <laughs> I don't know. Some people don't like part two um, for how much it retreads the first movie, but I think that's the fun of part two, is that it is the different angle of the, the first movie. In the yeah, kind and of, like that's... 
like that's actually what made uh, Zemeckis want to do the sequel is getting to play with that and actually going back into the first movie. <laughs> it's so fun. It's so fun. And it's like, it... <laughs> yeah, all of these things were happening while you were watching the first movie, but they were like just out of the shot or it was like just a slightly different angle or, you know, if you were to hold that shot a little bit longer, you would have seen Doc in the background. Like, yeah. yeah. And don't worry, those terrorists aren't going to come back. They've been taken care of by that minor crash. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just like, like that. We're, we're <laughs> good. We can now. go about the rest of our lives now. Yeah, they're not going to ever try and track you down still. <laughs> but that's the kind of thing where it's like emotionally that feels like it's concluded and been taken care of. Even though logistically it probably wouldn't. <laughs> well, and yeah, and that's what I've been saying. Like, uh, I've been thinking a lot about like Spielberg movies, and like a lot of the stuff we grew up watching. And like, you watch a Spielberg movie, it's not that he really is concerned with like you know geography or uh, time or time time or any of that. Like, no, what he cares about is the emotional correctness. And I'd say the same thing about Star Wars. I'd say the same thing about this. Like, I'd say the same thing about Goonies. Like, the directors that we loved growing up are more about emotional correctness than anything else. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that we've lost with a lot of movies these yes, days. I agree. Because wholeheartedly. now that we live in an age where, you know, people can stop the movie, pause, rewind, mm-hmm. like, analyze the shit out of every last frame. Like, you Cinema need to have everything mentality. else be 100% correct. So you can't focus on the emotional correctness. Yeah. And it's funny, even like the one problem I was having with this, you actually came up with a reason why it isn't necessarily an issue. (laughs) I was like, oh, okay. Uh, (laughs) It's like, but yeah, there's such a tendency to be critical to the nth degree. And it's kind of like, these were just, look, they were trying to make these fun movies. And for the most part, they're getting the broad strokes down. We don't have to necessarily... I mean, yeah, there are points where you can go, man, a lot of the logic just falls apart because it doesn't feel like care was given. This isn't one of those cases. Care feels like it was given, like, everywhere possible. And the effects work in this film, too. My God, don't even get me started. But uh, it, it follows such a coherent emotional core that... And so much of the logic does work that those things are all very forgivable. No film is perfect. And if you sit there I'm, getting... I'm, oh, go ahead. Oh, the Pepsi Free on his shelf because he <laughs> asked for a Pepsi Free earlier when he was in the diner. Um, but, like, I, I love that, you know, in the same regard, like, Doc just got shot. And, like, he, you know, just drives Marty home and he's like, yeah, I'm still going to go to the future. That was my plan anyway. Yeah. You know, getting shot was a mild distraction. <laughs> mild inconvenience. I mean, also, by the way, getting shot with bullets, even if you have a vest on. I mean, he does fall down, but it would wind you. It would knock you out and it might still cause you plenty harm. Um, but again... Yeah, all vests do is stop the bullet from entering your body. It doesn't stop the force from hitting you and cracking your ribs. Right. He probably would still need surgical treatment. (laughs) And this is played great, too. I think it's funny that, like, all the changes that happened, but they all still live in the same house. Even his (laughs) brother and sister, who are apparently successful, still live with their parents. Right. Again, if you address the logic too much, it falls apart. But uh, Of course. But that's not the point. The point is that it's it's sitting, yeah, because he needs to logistically go to the same house. He needs to somehow see the same 
family as before, but in their different state. <laughs> Fallen down. Um, his parents are cool now. What? And they did, um, I think, comment on... Uh, they did, uh, in the commentaries, I think they bring up how in the following films, in the, the end of the first one, it's treated much more as a, um, oh, they are successful because of uh, monetary gain, or like that's the benefit to the family. And I think in the follow-up, which was a very 80s sort of perspective, but in the following films, they kind of veered just a little bit away from that, from trying to indicate like, oh, they're happier because they're like richer. Um, I would say that's like maybe a tiny failing or something you could criticize about this movie is that it does seem to place a little bit of the happiness being on materialism. Um, well, I mean, it's the, the American dream, right? Like right. that's why people come from other countries here is because of the possibility of the fact that you, you know, if you're very, very lucky and work very, very hard, you too can succeed. But, you know, yeah. Of course, like in <laughs> in a Reagan era, that is one hundred percent what the like the message is. Reaganomics, exactly. See, brought it back around. Brought it back around. <laughs> but I, I I do feel like it 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 course corrects would be the right word in the second and third ones. It, it pulls it a little more towards the emotional center that it needs to be, and it's about the love story. It's about the 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 love the two main love stories that are kind of in in uh, those movies instead. I've watched a really fun side by side of this with the uh, the opening of part two, mm-hmm. because they recast the actress playing Jennifer. Excuse hmm. me. So basically, like they had to reshoot this whole thing with her. Oh right. Well, also they had to because. Fun fun fact, they actually didn't plan for sequels. This was right, just yeah. a fun ending that they decided to do. Um, like the to be continued was a joke. It really was, which is so funny in today's landscape. You think about how unheard of that would be to like put a to be continued when you didn't intend to have a part two, just when we live in an era of nothing but like MCUs. Um, it's kind of hilarious. Uh but this was a throwaway joke. It was like kind of like, oh, yeah, 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 that's, they're going to go off and have some other adventure. And you get to, which I think maybe was them making fun of um, pop, like Pulp Fiction kind of science fiction stories of like, next next time Flash Gordon will right. have to, you know, that was probably where the mindset was. But the fact that it was then like, no, this movie made a ton of money. It's wildly successful. We're making another one. With or without you, <laughs> so well, and, th- and that's that's why like I look at this and I think uh, think about like we really did grow up in the age of trilogies, um, yeah. Because like when you go all the way from all the way from like Star Wars, Indiana Jones through this and up to I would even include go all the way up to like Lord of the Rings, yeah. Uh, like we grew up in an age Rose. of trilogies. Like that's just kind of what you expected. If you had a, if you had a single successful movie, oh, you made a sorry. trilogy. Sorry. So, so cool. Yeah. It still looks great. Ah, it still looks awesome. So good. It's like one of the best, uh, it's one of the best ending shots 
in a film, yeah. and it just leaves you pumped. And if this was the only one, it would be so satisfying, like, of a conclusion. And the fact that that aesthetically is mirrored, I think, in the endings, it is it. I don't know if it's in part two. I don't think it is. But in the ending of part three, they echo that ending with the time train. Um, yeah, they don't in part three. Uh, because or in two. It, you mean two? I mean, no, they do in part three. They don't in part two. Yeah. So it's, but yeah, because yeah, no, because it doesn't end with them. It ends. It ends differently in the second one. But yeah, I love that it brings it back at the end of the third one because it is such a satisfying shot. And um, and yeah, sorry, like it just blindsides me how cool that that ending is. Um, I do want to yeah. bring up the power of love because we didn't really talk about that. The power of love very much. Um, I have a funny connection with the power of love, which is that uh, this is a single by Huey Lewis, but I have a fond connection with that one from the Punk Goes 80s uh, collection. If you've ever heard any of the Punk Goes albums, there is a really not. lovely acoustic version of that song uh, by the early November that is like very sweet and very uh, low key. So I, I, I recommend checking that version out if you've never heard it before. It's really fun. But thank you okay. for sitting with us through Back to the Future. My God, that was a lot of fun. Um, yeah, uh, I will point out real quick that the second unit director on this was Frank Marshall, the guy who would then go on to uh, not only produce Raiders of the Lost Ark, but also uh, is one of the biggest producers in the industry. And he... His only movie that he fully directed is Arachnophobia. Hmm. That's interesting. Which is a lot of fun. Arachnophobia. But, uh, yeah, the, let's do some housekeeping. Arachnophobia, the enemy organization from Soul Eater. No, just Anyway. Yes. Uh, so uh, what is what are our handles? We're at Cinepraisal on all the things. That's Yeah, all the social medias. You can find us on at Cinepraisal. Um Check out our Twitter, where I'm trying to get really like much better at not retweeting things that are actually for my personal Twitter. So fun. <laughs> um, also, yeah, uh, on Instagram, I'll go ahead and throw up that picture of my uh, DeLorean model, because why not? Um, and for me personally, you can find me on most things as at Dungeons N, the letter N, Daleks, Dungeons and Daleks. Um or check out my website of distantlands.com where you can pick up a copy of my book, which I strongly recommend. Cool. And I am at Dak Schaefer. Find me on, um, gosh, find me on all the social medias at Dak Schaefer. Uh, we put links in the description. And uh, I'm, I use, mostly use Instagram and I sometimes will put stupid things on Twitter. Um, but uh all right my headphones just died oh no but uh thanks for listening everybody and remember keep, keep watching, watching movies. movies and you can find us on ko-fi <laughs> <laughs> wait, no wait what was it can you still hear me yes i can all? still hear you yeah okay good i wanted to say the ko-fi link here I, it took me a moment to find it uh ko-fi.com slash cinepraisal all right there we go all right uh see you in part two or whatever the next film we do is bye 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 <laughs> have fun editing this i will